The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888 Afternoon and welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. Happy Thursday afternoon to you. This is Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show talking to you, some of the best listeners out in radio world. Um, If you are going to join in the conversation, and I hope you do, give us a call here. You can give us a ring at 888-6-LESLIE, which is 888-653-7543. And if you want to join in on the conversation, follow us on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. And my handle is at Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-J-A-W-A-N-D-O. So it has been an busy week to say the least and we're going to dig into some of these um, hot topics including the Trump Supreme Court list, Merrick Garland, the uh, Zika virus. I mean there is tons of things happening and we're going to talk about it all here. Hope you join in in the conversation. But before we get started and I introduce my first guest, I got to talk briefly about the Egypt Air Flight 804. If you've been following CNN or any of the cable news, uh, Flight 804 vanished from radar on its way from Paris to Cairo with 66 people aboard. The airline reported on Thursday right before I came on air. Apparently some of the wreckage has been found. So we definitely send our thoughts and prayers out to the family um, of that flight. The other big news this week, and especially as we find Finally, if you were in Washington, D.C., you were excited like I am because we finally got sunlight. We have been in a perpetual rain and cloudy days for a really long time, but that we're getting ready to head into summer season. And as we get ready to head into summer season, that also means mosquitoes. And so the Senate this week advanced a compromise bill to provide about $1.1 billion to combat Zika. However, there is a veto threat from the president because of some of the other additions that amendments that were added to the bill. And I'm like, come on. Senate, if you can't get Zika right, we know that it's here. We know that it's coming. We have the uh, Summer Olympics happening uh, mid-August. We know a lot of people are going to be traveling over there, and a lot of people are going to be coming back. So we need to do a little bit better. And then... That's right. That's right. Come on. It's like kids and mosquitoes and like things that we can do to prevent it. Let's like, I I don't get it, but we'll talk about that later. Right, Kristen? And then finally, uh, none other than the presumed GOP nominee, Donald Trump, released a list of 11 SCOTUS noms. And we are definitely going to go get into that with the amazing guest that's joining me in studio. We're going to talk about that. We're going to be talking about a lot other. But let me introduce my guest, none other than Ms. Kristen Clark, who is the president and executive director of the, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, welcome. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. And if you want to stay in touch with Kristen, you can follow her. She has the best Twitter handle, folks, okay? She is a longtime civil rights lawyer, litigator, um, an amazing person, but her Twitter handle is at Voting 
rights. That's right. Like she works on voting rights and her Twitter handle is at voting rights. I love it. Um, and she is joining us today in studio. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, Lawyers Committee, I think I am very familiar and many of our listeners who um, follow and pay close attention to civil rights litigation may be familiar. But for those who aren't, tell us a little bit about who civil who the Lawyers Committee is. Um, you have a great origin story, um, and I'm sure our listeners would love to know about it. Sure. So the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law is one of our nation's historic civil rights groups um, focused on dealing with issues of racial justice, focused on work to end racial discrimination. Uh, We are an organization that's been around since 1963, so we've got a long track record of work to try and move our nation toward justice. Mm. The organization was started when President John F. Kennedy put out a call to action back in 1963 for the private bar, for lawyers around the country to respond and mobilize to help the federal government in the business of enforcing federal civil rights laws. And there were 240 lawyers who responded to the call and descended on the White House for a meeting with the president to talk about what they could do back in their home communities to help make the nation a better place. And that call to action is what Uh, gave rise to the Lawyers Committee. And so today we operate, we bring cases, we advocate uh, to fight for racial justice, and we do that work with the assistance and support of private lawyers uh, around the country who believe in uh, work that is about ending the scourge of discrimination. So contrary to popular beliefs, There are lawyers who care. There are lawyers who care, and we have about 240 of them who serve on our board, our progressive attorneys who are um, all about doing work uh, to help make our nation a better place for all Americans, regardless of their race. Mm. So now I talked before we brought you into the convo, Kristen, about um, Donald Trump. He just recently released his list of 11 nominees to the Supreme Court. But your organization actually has been just released a report about the this president's nominee to the Supreme Court, Merrick Garland. Um, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? Sure. So let me first say that I think it's outrageous. I do not think that uh, nominees should be in the business of putting forth uh, Supreme Court possibilities uh, at this moment. We have an actual vacancy on the court, (laughs) and we have an actual president. His name is Barack Obama. actually there. Yes, and he actually (laughs) named a nominee. And that person is actually named Merrick Garland. Right, right. And we have been waiting for more than 65 days or so now for the Senate to move on the nomination. Yeah. Um, So we did a report on Merrick Garland. Basically, the Senate is asleep at the wheel. Mm -hmm. And so we are doing the work that they are not doing. We Mm -hmm. took a step back and said, let's look at who Merrick Garland is. um, And let's try to figure out what kind of jurist he'd actually be on the Supreme Court. We went and looked through all of the rulings that he's issued during his 19-year tenure on the D.C. Circuit Court, the second highest court in the land. And um, we focused in on those cases that concerned civil rights. Mm. And what we found was very interesting. 
um, one, there were, there were not a lot of cases, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to cases that squarely deal with issues of education and housing discrimination. There just there wasn't a lot. The D.C. Circuit's a very right. unusual court right, with unique right. jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. They hear a lot of, a these lot of administ- regulatory, yeah. administrative law challenges. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that explains uh, that, that weird per- peculiarity a bit. But we did find a lot of cases in the employment discrimination context mm-hmm. and a lot of cases that concern criminal law. Um, in the criminal law context, unsurprisingly, we find that Merrick Garland is somebody who often sympathize, sympathizes with and sides with the prosecution, right? He's a well, former... Well, he's a former prosecutor. Exactly. And no hit on prosecutors. My dad was one himself, but there tends to be, you an know, a perspective yeah. and an alignment of, of background, which is why I think in some ways that's why the president put him forth because he was going to have um, kind of great bipartisan kind of credentials um, because of some of his background including being a prosecutor I think that's right he's a very moderate selection uh, uh, for sure and somebody who's embraced on both sides of the aisle he's somebody who's enjoyed a lot of bipartisan support throughout his tenure on the court um, But, you know, going back to what we found, we looked at um, many of the cases he's issued on employment discrimination. Mm. And what we found is that he's somebody who will send cases back to the lower courts. He's not going to kick cases on small procedural rules. He's really about making sure that plaintiffs get their day in court and get an opportunity to air the facts on their case. And, um, you know, about making sure that people are heard, which we think is incredibly important. And which is grounded in the Constitution. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Those values we supposedly exactly. hold dear. Exactly. There were, there were some other interesting observations. Many of his rulings on the D.C. Circuit were unanimous, mm. which shows that he's a real consensus builder, mm-hmm. which I think is a very important value for anyone who wants to uh, sit on the U.S. Supreme Court in this day and age. You've got to know how to bring different uh, perspectives and views together. It's something we need a little bit more of here in D.C. Now, when we come back from the break, Kristen, I want to talk a little bit about a lot of the voting rights work that you're doing out in the states, because I think, unfortunately, uh, we talk a lot about Trump. Um, we're talking a lot about the president's nominee to the Supreme Court. But what we're not talking about is voting. We're not talking about the barriers people are facing going Going to the ballot, um, and I think it's something that you guys have done great work. So we got to bring it to the light for our great listeners. You're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Michelle Jawanda. We'll be back after the break. <coughs> Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. American woman. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. You are listening to Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. I hope you join in on the conversation. Give us a ring at 888-6LESLIE, which is 888-653-7543. You can follow along on Twitter at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando. Still back in studio for the next segment with me is none other than Kristen Clark, who's the president and executive director of the National Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, and she tweets at voting rights, at voting rights. So, Kristen, before the break, we started to get into a convo about kind of the great work that you guys have been doing, but you recently um, brought a lawsuit that kind of has made some noise um, because you went um, or filed some litigation against the Election Assistance Commission, which most people, if you've even heard of it, because there's like five people who may have um is supposed to be about protecting the rights of voters and kind of election administration issues but you guys are basically saying they've been asleep at the wheel yes so this is a very interesting case that we filed against the eac which is currently led by a director brian newby So Brian Newby decided to issue a directive Mm -hmm. that says that three states, including Georgia and Kansas, can move forward and uh, require that people who want to register to vote provide proof of citizenship. So provide a copy of a birth certificate if they want to register to vote in those states. And we believe that that is an unnecessary burden on people who are merely trying to register and get their names on the rolls. Many people don't have birth certificates, requiring that they jump through hoops and purdles and pay the fines that are associated with getting a birth certificate Mm -hmm. merely to exercise the right to vote. It's just, it's not necessary. But this suit is interesting because we just think he overstepped his Mm -hmm. power and Mm -hmm. authority by issuing this directive. And so that's one of many cases now brewing around the country that's all about defending access to the ballot box. Now, if you're tuning in, this is the Leslie Marshall Show in studio with Kristen Clark from the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. Now, what were those three states? Because we have listeners from all over the country um, who tune in and to the Leslie Marshall Show. So Georgia mm-hmm. uh, is one and Kansas uh, are the other. So those are the two main ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so, I mean, is is your sense the reason why he tried to move forward is no one was paying attention? Uh, like, why would you, it seems like this would exclude a huge swath of eligible voters when we, and we have a major turnout problem here in this country. What do you think were the reasonings before, before putting forth um, a directive this way? It's hard to say what his reasoning is, but we know that the impact is, uh, you know, the, the impact here is clear. This Mm -hmm. is a decision that makes it harder for people to get onto the registration rolls in many states. But more importantly, he just didn't have the power or authority to issue this directive in the first place. Mm. So that's what our case is about, him overstepping and acting outside the bounds of his authority. But what's remarkable is that uh, this is not the only challenge we face this election cycle. Mm -hmm. There are so many cases that are now brewing some of which could make their way up to the Supreme Court that are all about who gets to vote and who who doesn't, who gets to participate and who doesn't. And 
the right to vote is the most important right in our democracy, and presidential election years are when people really wake up and pay attention. And so we are really busy defending people's right to exercise um, the critical right to vote at this moment all across the country. You know, one of the things that often happens when I kind of have this conversation, um, we sometimes, we have people with strong opinions on Twitter who say, listen, you know, the right to vote is sacred and it is important. Um, and so it shouldn't just be easy for people to vote. And you should have to work a little hard um, to be able to cast your ballot. And not everyone should should have access to that. I mean, what do you say to those people? Um, and, and look, I, I understand that there's a lot of perspectives in this country. I tend not to th- agree with maybe that thinking, but what do you say um, to folks when you hear that? Well, here's what I say. So in 2014, 37% of Americans turned out to vote. That was the lowest turnout rate that we've seen in our country in more than 70 years. When you look at industrialized nations across the planet, we are always rock bottom when it comes to turnout. So, so this is just a, a fundamentally un-American. We mm-hmm. should be figuring out how to make it easier. Rules like photo ID requirements, right? It's an unnecessary hoop and hurdle, one that you and I can overcome, mm-hmm. right? I have a driver's license. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have a passport, mm-hmm. right? So we're not talking about you and me. We're talking about people on the margins. Mm-hmm. We're talking about poor people. We're talking about the elderly and students People on the margins who are precisely the voices we want to be bringing in and including in the process, those are the ones that we lock out with these unnecessary rules and restrictions. And this stuff matters because elections are so hotly contested and the outcomes are so close, right? So if you put in place a rule that peels off, you know, a couple hundred people here, a couple thousand people in that community... These are impacts that can influence the outcome of elections. So the stakes are high and these rules and restrictions are un-American and are things that we should all be paying attention to. So I cannot believe 30 minutes went by already. Um, What would you say to our listeners about the work that you're doing and where could they turn to get more information about this great report on the SCOTUS nominee or about your work? So when it comes to exercising the right to vote, I encourage people to get out there and participate. And if you encounter a problem on Election Day, you can call the Lawyers Committee for help at 866-OUR-VOTE. 866-OUR-VOTE. Every election, we operate a monitoring program where we help people overcome the barriers that they encounter uh, Uh, on election day or just go to our website for more information all right well we're going to have you back definitely closer to the election this is michelle jawanda on the leslie marshall show we'll be back after the break talking politics and a lot of the news that you heard this week thanks again we'll be back Good afternoon, 
and welcome back. You are listening to Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. Listen, I love to hear from you, so please give us a call. The number here is 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle with one L, Jawando, J-A-W-A-N-D-O. So I'm excited about our next segment. You know, I always like to talk a little bit of politics when I'm in the studio and joining me for that conversation. Um, two amazing women who I've been trying to get booked to come on this show for a little bit. Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver, who's the founder of the Exceptional Leadership Institute for Women. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to have you. And she tweets at sister, S-I-S-T-A-H, scholar, S-C-H-O-L-A-R, and none other than my buddy, Daniela Gibbs-Legere, Vice President of Communications and Strategy here at the Center for American Progress, not public (laughs) progress. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to the show, Daniela. Thank you. And she tweets at D-G-I-B-B-E-R-1-2-3. So thank you, ladies. It has been another crazy week in Washington, D.C., to say the least. Um, I don't even really know, because there's so much I have on this list of mine (laughs) to discuss, but maybe we'll start with the fact that Donald Trump put forth a list of 11 people who could potentially be Supreme Court judges while we are actually waiting for a real person who has been nominated from the president we currently have uh, waiting for him. Uh, What is going on here? Everything about this election cycle is upside down, reverse, bizarro land. Like, I can't make heads or tails. Like, when has this ever happened? I, I I don't even, I really just, I don't know. Donald Trump makes my head hurt. <laughs> like, <laughs> makes my political brain hurt and cry all at the same time. Yes, we actually do have somebody, <laughs> a very qualified person, before the Senate to actually fill this position. And then he, like, put out his wish list. And he well, out. when has he let facts be his boundaries this is true in terms of what he does yes not too surprised (laughs) and and the in the the list itself is very interesting i mean you have once an all-white list Mm -hmm, i think mm -hmm. maybe only about two or three women Mm -hmm, on the list mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. so not at all representative of america to say the least right and then he has some wackos on there too i mean he has a guy on there who used to be the head of operation rescue god only knows what he would do Uh if Mm -hmm. on the supreme court and you know as entertaining as it might be to talk about the craziness and the wackoness of of a Donald Trump. The reality is that this is a very serious situation. And, yes. you know, if mm-hmm. he were to have that power, yeah. what sort of damage could he do? It's, it's just absolutely frightening. Yeah, and he did this to send a signal, right? Because right. there's some people on the right who are saying, well, he's not really conservative. And he, this is him saying, no, I am conservative, and here are the extreme people that I would put on the Supreme Court mm-hmm. to try and roll back women's protection, civil rights, voting rights, everything. Right, here's the checklist, yes. and I know this is what I'm supposed to do yes. now that you're going to let me be president and so here are your people you know the the strangest thing i think about kind of this moment is also how mediocrity has really taken over the day you know i fast 
you know, do a rewind to 2007 when everyone said Barack Obama had only been in the Senate for a few years Mm -hmm. and how could he ever be qualified to be president, although he was a con law professor, first African-American editor of the Harvard Law Review. I mean, kudos, kudos, background, credentials galore. Mm -hmm. And now we're at a place where someone who was the host of a reality television show. <laughs> Just, I mean, I, right. I'm like, what happened? Right. Where was all of that conversation before? I, I really don't know. <laughs> it is like people, the Republican Party sat back and said, we need to pick the 180 of Barack Obama. Yes. <laughs> the, the most polarist operist. <laughs> the anti-Obama. The anti-Obama. <laughs> and here comes Donald Trump. You know, I was I was walking to work this morning and I I often like get these ideas for op-eds like floating in my head and some of the stuff I'm like, I really can't write that. Uh, <laughs> but I want to find a way to talk about when did it become smart to not know anything? Mm. Like what, when did it become cool mm. to be an anti-intellectual as the person who's going to run the country? Right. Like, well, what, like, we've seen that before. Well, that's in oh, yeah. recent history. Yeah, Come George on now. George W. Bush. I know. <laughs> but, but Donald Trump makes George Bush look no. like a Rhodes George, Scholar. Like... George, y'all, we are missing George right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. W. Where's W? Seriously, I will take I mean, a W over Trump. And Avis, it makes me, you know, want to bring in a little bit of conversation about your amazing book. So Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver recently published a book, How Exceptional Black Women Lead, Unlocking the Secrets to Phenomenal Success in Career and in Life. And in it, you highlight amazing women who are at the top of their field. And you just kind of juxtapose kind of the struggles, personal and professional, the things that you've gone through with kind of this guy who, you know, born with the silver spoon, got a television show, and now is potentially on the verge of potentially being the president? I mean, bootstrapped his first business by getting a million dollar check Mm. from his father. I mean, how could he do it? The struggle was real. (laughs) The struggle was real. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) I mean, what you're saying here is true. I mean, for other people, and especially for women of color, black women specifically, you know, you don't have, it's not good enough just to be qualified. Let's Mm -hmm. just be for Mm -hmm. real about Mm -hmm. that. You have Mm -hmm. to be over and above, Mm -hmm. overqualified. So Mm -hmm. it's very interesting to me. You know, you know, there's a lot of people who say I would love to have the confidence of a mediocre white man. You know, mm. shit, I would love to, oops, I would love to have the job prospects of a mediocre white man. Now, come on now. Yes. What, what sort of qualifications? You're right. It's pitiful. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about um, your book, and I can't wait to dig into it further, is how there seems to be this kind of common narrative of how do I push forward in spite of the challenges Mm -hmm. around me, Mm -hmm. right? And like knowing kind of internally that I'm not only representing myself, but so many others and bringing them with me. Absolutely. So yeah, there is definitely this feeling of, you know, I am one of many. Mm -hmm. And understanding, for example, that we are at a moment in time where even even though things are not perfect, we definitely have more opportunities than our mothers and our grandmothers and those that came before them. And it's not to say that there weren't those in those previous generations that were just as talented, that were just as brilliant, that could have done any and everything, but opportunities just weren't there. And so when you live within a moment in history and when you have where you have greater opportunities, 
you feel that weight of the mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. to show up right mm-hmm. and right. to shine and to do what you can in order to be worthy of that opportunity, but also to lift others up with you who need that break that you got as well. That's right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. We, um, if you want to join in the conversation, give us a call at 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. So, you know, we, we're going to go to break in a few minutes, but before we start, start, uh, before we go there, I did want to bring you in, Daniela, because you've been a very senior official uh, working in the administration, and now you're starting to get the legacy think pieces mm-hmm. about kind of where the president is and what he's done. Um, and he's he, he is praised on one hand in some respects, particularly in the African-American community, the symbolism, mm-hmm. but also there's been some knocks on him, particularly around the HBCU community and people feeling, um, and for those listeners who are familiar, HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and Universities. Um, and I think that there is something that could be there. And so how, how do you, I know you're not in the administration anymore, but I know it's something you dealt with when you were there. Yeah, there were, there were definitely at the beginning, and I, and I think the Howard speech was, was great and different from some of the other speeches uh, at HBCUs where there was definitely a little bit, Maybe a little too much of the, you know, pull your pants up when you're, like, walking down the street and comport yourself this way. And a little luxury, uh, mm-hmm. maybe, if that's mm-hmm. a word I'm going to make up right now. Uh, and I think some people were a little aggravated by it. They felt like he was giving uh, a different speech to HBCUs than he was to other colleges. And I think to some it felt almost a little too... Bill Cosby-ish, um, mm-hmm. you know, and the, like, here's what's wrong with the community and you, you guys need to do all this. And I, I think that's part of, that's just part of who he is. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the Howard speech, I, I think there wasn't really any of that. Right. Uh, and right. I, don't, I don't know if it's just because, again, we're in the, you know, the bucket list. Right. <laughs> or the phase end, of the, you know, of the administration, like the end of the, for sure. End of the administration, like, I'm just going to keep it, I'm going to keep it 100 all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely, I think there, there was some valid criticisms mm-hmm. uh, that people had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Avis, you and I are both HBCU graduates, right. proud of it. Um, and I think that there's something amazing and magical about the moment when you see so many young, confident African-Americans who are getting ready to go out into the world. And it's something we should praise and Absolutely. honor because we don't see that image enough. Absolutely. So you are listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. We are going to come back after the break. We hope you join in in the conversation. 8886 Leslie or at Leslie Marshall or at Michelle Jawando, and we'll be right back after the break. You're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. Truth for all sides of the spectrum. 8886 Leslie. Good afternoon 
And welcome back to Michelle Jawando on the Leslie Marshall Show. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 888-6-LESLIE, which is 888-653-7543. Or join the conversation on Twitter at the Leslie Marshall Show or at Michelle with one L Jawando. So before we went to the break, Daniela brought up a really great point about when did it get popular to become an anti-intellectual? And it seems that Andy (laughs) Borowitz uh, from The New Yorker had the same question because he put out, for those who aren't familiar, Andy does a satire um, article in The New Yorker occasionally. And in recognition of the president's um, commencement speech at Howard said, if President Obama was trying to alienate alienate millions of Americans in one speech, mission accomplished. When I watched him speak, I said to myself, well, Christmas came early. The president (laughs) seems to be doubling down on this. This is a man who never met a fact he didn't like. This fall, we will ask the American people, do you want four more years of knowledge or do you want something else? You do have to ask these questions because it it, it feels that way. You know, the other thing that I, which is always a challenge um, for me is, you know, we have a lot of great listeners here on the Leslie Marshall Show. And we have people um, with very different, strong opinions on both sides of the aisle. Mm -hmm. But people seem so angry. And it is sometimes manifested, um, you know, sometimes you see it a lot on social media. Um, You know, you, you, there is something that's happening that I think is different. And a lot of people say that Donald Trump has unleashed this kind of ugliness um, in a way that we haven't seen before. But, you know, I don't, does that give Donald Trump too much credit? Do you think there's something else happening? I know our econ team looks at issues around economic inequality and we've seen wages stagnating um, to the most that they've been in like 20, 30 years. Um, And you have to wonder, like, isn't that part of the conversation as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that um, annoys me is when people, you know, sort of dismiss Trump and dismiss the people who are supporting him as being ignorant or racist. Mm -hmm. Look, that's a chunk of it. But obviously there's something else going on and he is speaking to an anxiety that people have now. It could be economic anxiety and we can talk about why it's ironic that he's the one delivering this message when he represents the people who are, you know, literally keeping everybody else down. Right, the super Um, 1%. Right, he's like (laughs) the ultra 1%. But also I think, you know, we can't discount the the racial aspect of it Mm -hmm. and, you know, Mm -hmm. you have a, a segment of the population that feels like they're getting left behind economically that wrongfully believes that black and brown people are somehow getting ahead faster than they are when you look at all the economic indicators and that it's not true at all. And then they see a country that is changing demographically before their eyes. And so they're like, well, where is my place? Hmm. And Donald Trump, in not so many words, says, you know, I'm the guy who's going to stand up for you. I'm going to build the wall. I'm going to keep the Muslims out and I'm going to tell it like it is. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, he has tapped into that core backlash against having a black president. That's my belief. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look throughout our history, there has never been a time in which we've had black advancement where we haven't seen white backlash, Mm. right? This is just the contemporary uh, mode of it. And he is speaking directly to that, not only with his very blatant language, as as you've alluded to, but also with his coded language. I mean, when he says things like, make America great again, he's not talking to me. He ain't talking to you. Right. I mean, like, when was America great for black folk? Mm. Exactly. When Mm -hmm. was it better? You know, so, you know, he is specifically hearkening to a period in which you had greater advantages based on 
on race, right? Mm -hmm. And there is this anxiety that now that we are seeing the demographic shift, mm -hmm. those who have historically experienced and enjoyed privilege in this nation for centuries are beginning to say, well, my God, um, what's going on? Mm -hmm. when, when you begin to lose privilege, it feels like oppression, mm -hmm. and that's what he's tapping mm -hmm. into. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. I know we talk a lot about kind of Donald Trump and on that side, but even on the left this week in Nevada, there mm -hmm. was a big uproar, and that during one of the caucuses, um, Barbara Boxer ended up getting booed. You had a number yeah. of Bernie Sanders supporters who were upset. And it was interesting hearing some of the commentary on on, on cable news, one thing that I did not like, even from Democrats who are participating, was, you know, they were violent and they were just wrong. And I'm like, listen, I, I get that there were some people who were completely out of line. Those threats on the Nevada chairwoman were just wrong. And you heard them play over and over, um, but particularly on her life and her family yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, crazy. that was completely that beyond the pale. But what I don't think we need to start doing on particularly on the left is dismiss their that anxiety and that angst that people have also felt within the Democratic right. Party. We haven't always made a space for differences of opinion for Absolutely. young people, mm -hmm. for people of color, for those who are not necessarily the kind of in crowd. And I think in some ways that's what you saw. Yeah, and I think the the Democrats have to do a really delicate dance mm -hmm. of of talking to those folks because, you know, assuming Hillary is the nominee, she's obviously going to need their vote and their support and need them to go out and get other people to come out and vote for her. Um, but they have to, you know, understand why they're so frustrated. Mm -hmm. And and look, I, I think there's some... Bernie Sanders has a responsibility here, too. That's I think right. There, there's that a way right. that he can talk to his supporters and continue to raise up their issues and bring it to the fore mm -hmm. without making it an us versus them. I think That's that right. is fueling this anger. Mm -hmm. And I think he can he can stop that, but still push his message forward. Mm -hmm. But I, but I do think it's tricky. And again, it's the same way that I say we shouldn't just say, oh, Donald Trump supporters are this. Right. We shouldn't just say, oh, well, Bernie Sanders supporters are this. They're That's crazy. Right. They're leftists. They're not even Democrats. That's right. It doesn't matter that some of them aren't Democrats. Right. The point is you want them to vote for you. Right. Yeah to engage them and treat them with respect. Absolutely. And, you know, while everyone is, some, you know, some of us on the left are kind of getting a, a kick out of what looks like the right crashing and burning with this whole craziness around mm -hmm. Donald Trump, uh, it is to our great peril mm -hmm. uh, that we take for granted that they're going to self-sabotage while, frankly, in some senses, it looks like we're beginning to self-sabotage when we right. dismiss mm -hmm. large groups of people who would be critical to a victory mm -hmm. in November. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, some of the, 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 the polling that I'm seeing right now, you know, it, it makes me concerned that we can't just not take that a Trump potential presidency as something that's complete fiction. That's right. It is going yeah. to take people actually doing the work. The hard work. Organizing, that's right. That's right. showing up, knocking voting, on knocking on doors. Those types of things are going to be necessary, and we can't afford to dismiss those concerns of people that we may not agree with on everything. That's right. But we need them, and we should be actually looking at ways in which we can incorporate those ideas that make the most sense so that there can be some, some, some level of compromise. Don't mm -hmm. just say, give up. Right. Say, what can we talk about around ideas, policy ideas that we can agree with, that we can make sure, mm -hmm. makes it onto a platform, right. makes it onto yep. a policy agenda so that Together. we can earn your vote. Exactly. That's right. And I, and I think to the Clinton campaign's credit, you will never hear anybody on the campaign or her saying that he should drop out. That's right. right. That's but right. some of her supporters right. are out right. there saying that. Right. And yeah. I hope they, they need to understand that 